0: Kalorobokura Bahai. My, 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 my. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. E. Talobokura Baba Hasatabahai. E. Tabahai, and Tata Baba Rata Roro Taba Hallelujah, 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 come on, come on, let's don't just go through the motions here, the Spirit of the Lord is waiting on us to enter into His presence. The Spirit of the Lord is waiting on us. Connect with Him. Come on, we're so used to doing this from a standpoint of Pentecostal culture. It's time we got past that. It's time we learned how to, 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 to inif- enter into His manifested presence in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah! 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 Ita halalolo bo korata tababa kahai. Yala yala ratata tababa Hallelujah! 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My, my, my. Whoa. Praise God. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yala mana mana hay, rararoro bokurata baba hay. Yala bahai, rararoro bokurata baba hay. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Gay katier lororo ro ro bokurata Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. I pray that you have refreshed yourself enough to be ready to go. I will remind you, if you will put for me Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 on the, on the screen, I will remind you that we are not trying to communicate in intellectual information. That God is trying to impart to us revelatory knowledge. That will change our lives. Amen. This was Paul's prayer for the church. Paul prayed this for the church. And he said follow me as I follow Christ. I think that ministers need to do for for and to the church what he did. The one thing he prayed at the beginning of almost every one of his epistles... Let's actually go back up to uh, verse 1 of Ephesians 1. He prayed this prayer at almost every, the beginning of every one of his epistles within the first, usually the first two, three verses. In in Romans, I think it actually is down to verse 7. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, of the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That part varies, but the next part is essentially the same at some verse within the first seven, in every epistle of his, except Hebrews. And I do believe Paul wrote Hebrews, or was at least the, the Holy Ghost's scribe, to write Hebrews. Grace be to you and peace, from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a greeting. He considered this to be so important, that the apostle, did an apostolic impartation, in the beginning of every address he made to the church. And in the places where he addressed humans. Especially, especially first and second Timothy and Titus. He added a word. Consistently in all three situations. Grace, mercy and peace. From God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason for that of course is. The church doesn't need mercy. The church is all is saved, predestined to be saved. The church can't be lost. We were chosen in the Logos before the foundation of the world. Did you forget last night? Okay. So the church doesn't need mercy because the church has never been lost. But individuals need grace, mercy, and peace. And so when he, when he is pronouncing this apostolic blessing and impartation upon, uh, individuals, he added mercy, grace, mercy, and peace, uh, from our, uh, our Father and, uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? At some, at some part of my prayer every morning, early in my prayer every morning, I pray something along this line. Father, I receive from you grace and peace today. Without you, I can do nothing. I receive your grace to empower me. And I receive peace from you as the atmosphere in which I live. Because there's only one way to have biblical peace. If you were here for the last session, this morning, the only way you can have biblical peace... Is to give up control to the Father. If you don't have peace as your lifestyle. Oh Lord. <laughs> I can't even get to the prayer. We'll pray here in a second. If you don't have peace as a lifestyle, then you have not given up control to the Father. Okay. Luke one seven nine, verse seventy nine, please. This is the prophecy. It started out being a prophecy by Zacharias concerning his son 79, Luke 179, concerning his son John the Baptist, and it turned into a prophecy concerning the one that John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for. And this is the last verse of Luke 1, and it tells of the coming the purpose of the coming Messiah, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way or lifestyle of peace. So Paul prayed for every church and to individuals he prayed the same thing and added mercy into that that they would I would have grace because it, the I can only receive grace if I've given up control of my life. And then I need and am willing to receive his empowerment to do those things that I used to try to do but found out I can't. And peace is my lifestyle. And peace as my lifestyle as a result of me giving up control to the Father and acknowledging where the Father is. Our Father. Where? What are we confessing that? That he's way off and we're down here? No. We're confessing that our God is over everything and He's in control. And we are going to align ourselves with His control. Because if we don't do that, then we're out of alignment, out of harmony with Him because we're trying to be in control. I thought he was through with this. You? And of course, mercy. And these are not my definitions, but I've used them for years. Mercy is when you do not receive what you do deserve. Grace is when you do receive what you don't deserve. They are not the same thing. They are not synonymous, and they are not interchangeable. Mercy deals with my past. Grace deals with my, my present and my future. Oh, but we're saved by grace. You know, the grace of God took Jesus' cross. Yes, 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 yes. The unmerited favor of God caused Jesus to die. But that's only what's been provided and why it's been provided. It doesn't mean I've received what's provided. And I haven't received what's been provided until I begin to allow that grace to empower me. And I will not allow the grace to empower me if I haven't first given up control and I'm stopped. Uh, and I'm no longer trying to empower it, oh Lord, have mercy, Jesus if you can't take him, we'll just take a nap. it'll be all right you won't have you don't have to answer me for that, just Jesus. Everything in my life that I have to ask him to bless, I'm confessing it wasn't his idea. everything in my life that I have to ask Him to bless, I am confessing it wasn't His idea. Because inherent in the will of God is His blessing upon His will. And if I am doing His will, I never have to ask for His blessing. And the very fact that I feel the need to ask God to bless something I am confessing I originated it not him and some of you are fussing big time see this is really the problem when you got a Holy Ghost filled preacher preaching to you because he hears what God is saying and he hears what you're saying too thank God I don't hear every thought thank God I don't hear every thought But I hear and feel what's coming back. And used to, when I was younger and didn't understand that, I'd react to it. Got me in big trouble. And now I don't react to it unless he wants it reacted to. Some of you are fussing with that. I I believe we, we need to ask God to bless everything. Book, chapter, verse, please. That's all I want, just book, chapter, verse. If that's really the will of God, somebody surely has a verse. Seriously, anybody got a verse that says we're supposed to ask God to bless something? Come on. A lot of, a lot of people here that study, read their Bible, believe God. Surely somebody's, you got a verse? Jesus blessed the bread. Yeah, but we didn't ask him to. Okay, we pray over our food. What's the prayer we we pray over our food, really? Thanksgiving. Who's supposed to be doing the blessing, ultimately, when we pray? We are. Who are we supposed to be blessing? We're not supposed to... (laughs) I'm not making this a heaven or hell issue, okay? I'm just trying to make a point. The bottom line is, I'm supposed to be praying to bless him. Because if I find the will of my Father, and I walk in the will of my Father every day, everything that goes on in my life is a blessing. There is no luck and no coincidence for the person who has surrendered control to God. Everything that happens in their life is in his perfect will, good or bad. How can that be? Because we know that all things work together for good. Not that all things are good. We know, not we, everybody. This is a conditional statement, and the conditions are at the end. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to His purpose. If you don't love God and you haven't surrendered to be a part of His purpose, you cannot say all things work for good. You don't qualify. How y'all doing? Everything okay? You all right? That's why. We only provided snacks because this is the meat. We didn't feed you a meal and then this is dessert. This is the other way around. This is not the dessert. So, so, Paul started out with this apostolic blessing. He blessed us. He imparted to those that will receive it grace and peace. And for us individually, grace, mercy, and peace. Peace. But then we get down to Ephesians 1.17, finally. And this was a part of the blessing. My prayer is that you will join me in this prayer every day. That as you start your day, not only will you pray, you, you say, Lord, without you can, I can do nothing and I surrender this day to you. You are God, I am not here I am. I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to. I want to say what you're saying. I want to be a part of your plan, your purpose, your life. I. I, uh, I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. I don't pray that by repetition. I pray that out of sincerity every morning. That's what I want. And I and I receive the grace and peace of God. I say it. I receive from you, Father, today, grace, mercy, and peace. I receive it today. And for the last two months, every morning. Father, I receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of my understanding can be enlightened so that I'll know those things that you want me to know so that I will do and be those things that you've called me to do and be. Really, you just, do, yeah, Th- that's Revelation. It's one thing to receive a revelation. It's another thing to apply a revelation. Your revelation doesn't do you any good if you don't apply the revelation. So, let's pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the authority of the office given to me by the Father, Father, In the name of Jesus, I impart to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full and complete knowledge of Him, that that revelatory knowledge would shine light on the understanding of your heart, that you would receive that knowledge had come into harmony with the will and the purpose and the plan of God for your life individually and that for the church, that Jesus could be all in all as He manifests Himself through us individually and through the church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Say it. I receive it, Father. In your own words, not in unison. In your own words, say that. Pray that right now. I receive it, Father. I receive it, Father. I receive that. I receive it. Jesus, my, my, my. He's listening. He's responding to that. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My, 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 my. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now thank Him for it. Thank Him. That was grace operating. Grace imparted. Grace is empowering. And then grace produces thanksgiving. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. I'm going to ask you to help me do something right now. We either have just gone over or within a few numbers of going over 40,000 people who have liked the Facebook page, the ministry page, Apostolic Iron. No, 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 please. That's not why I'm saying that, honestly. Yeah, thanks, thanks be to God. But this is what I'm praying. I'm asking you to join with me. That every person, you you understand when somebody likes that page, they're agreeing that everything that's posted on that page about Jesus, is they're willing for it to be put on their timeline. They've agreed to accept that. That's why I have, it's just about time for me to do it again, probably today, at the latest tomorrow, because we've added over 10,000 in the last two days. Most of them, 95% of them from outside the United States, And it's time to post again. This is a Christian page. If you continue to like this page, you're going to hear about Jesus. Okay. Uh, Yesterday, no, Monday, we lost our greatest number to unlikes. I just found it out. We we lost 124 unlikes. And we netted 5,200. I'll take that, especially since I'm praying that the Lord will move everybody off the page that's not hungry. But we're going to pray before I continue to teach. You're going to pray with me. We're not going to ask. We're going to speak. And this is what we're going to speak. In whatever words you say, your faith produces, we're going to pray that every time somebody clicks on this page and reads anything on it, that immediately the spirit of darkness is going to loose their minds and their eyes. And the spirit of the revelation of the truth is going to come to them when they open the page and that the light of revelation is going to shine unto them. Everything they read is going to begin to make sense to them and they're going to see it. And then God is going to give them courage to act on what they're seeing. Would you join me in that prayer right now? Your words, whatever words your faith produces, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're praying for every one of the people that have signed up to this page. In the name of Jesus, we speak this word, that when they open this page, to read anything written on it that the spirit of darkness will loose their minds and hearts in Jesus name and the spirit of light of revelation of truth would come to them and would shine on them as they read what is written there and that they would see know and believe the truth and I loose in them the, the Holy Ghost courage to act on what they're seeing and what they're now knowing in Jesus name in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. 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 Adam, don't tweet that. Don't post that. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you believe what you just prayed or did you just say it? What did we just do? It's called warfare. That's what we just did. And the Lord has given us a point of contact with them where they are making a choice to open and read. Praise God. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 9. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, sorry. No, let's read from verse 1. Most, most apostolics skip down to verse 6. Nevertheless, in fact, let's read it in the Amplified. Down to verse 6. Okay? Uh, thank you. Let's see. I'll have to turn my back to you. It's a little easier to read up here. The Amplified verse has got a lot of words there, and so it's smaller type. But in the midst of the judgment, there is the promise and the certainty of the Lord's deliverance. And there shall be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, the Lord brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make it glorious. By the way of the Sea of Galilee, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of intense darkness and the shadow of death, upon them the light shined. You, O Lord, have multiplied the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you like the joy in harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil of battle. This is called a war. The theme is in time harvest. For the yoke of Israel's burden and the staff of rod for goading their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Gideon with Midian. For every tramping warrior's war war boots and all his armor in the battle, tumult and every garment rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us you see the lead into this verse? <laughs> I said, "Did you see the lead into this verse? Do you see the context of this verse? Did you see the lead into this verse? This verse, every apostolic quotes, "Do you see the context of this verse? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. Notice there's no comma here. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father of eternity. Prince of peace. Next verse. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the latter time forth. Even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies will perform this. Thank you. You can go back to the King James Version, verse 6, please. Now. Some will have a problem with us taking this favorite oneness apostolic candy stick and turning it into a statement about warfare. Get over it. Because the only reason that's a problem to you is you haven't read the context. You want to know what he's talking about in those two verses? Especially that one is the only part of it we quote. You have to to read the context to know what he's talking about. He made these statements in the context of conflict. Of his people being in a conflict that he's promising victory for them. I taught last night. And I I need to just, by way of remembrance, you can hear it one more time. That when I asked the Lord about him. He told me that he was from everlasting to everlasting. He was the I am God. Everlasting means he had no beginning. Everlasting to everlasting means he has no ending. That he is everywhere at every time present simultaneously. And that as the finite God. Before anything was created. Before anything else was in existence except Him. And by the way, I will say it again. By definition, it is impossible to divide that God up into persons. By definition, there can only be one being with the capability to be without a beginning... Without an ending, every prey, every place, and every time present simultaneously. It is impossible for there to be more than one of them. And this eternal God decided, chose, wanted. To be able to fully express himself. So he created. He decided to create beings with which he could fellowship. But being infinite, creation would be finite. He is unlimited, creation is limited. He needed a go between. He needed the ability to express a means whereby he could express himself, the infinite God, to the finite. And the very first thing he did to bring about this was he became Logos. Amen. He became Logos. And uh, as I said last night, Logos is normally translated not exclusively but normally translated word w o r d in the king james new testament but the the concept of logos is far 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 bigger than than word it is all of the wisdom of god all the knowledge of god all the plan of god all the purpose of god all the counsel of god all the will of god all of everything is contained in logos logos is fully God, qualitatively. But by definition, cannot be fully God, quantitatively. Because the infinite cannot express himself to the finite and maintain his infiniteness in the expression, quantitatively. But that Logos is fully God, as fully God as He can be the infinite God, while expressing Himself to the finite. Now that may be just a little bit more than you want to think about today. But the problem is, if you don't get that part, well, everything I'm about to teach isn't going to make any sense, and it's not even going to be significant to you. Because the problem is, These were some of the original verses prophesying that the Logos was going to come to the earth and what was the purpose of his coming. And so we won this apostolic. We take that verse and all we get out of it is there's one God and Jesus is him. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's like sitting down to a table that has an awesome meal and smelling it. And saying, "Wow, well, what a meal. I'm full just smelling it. I'm not exaggerating. To get out of these verses that Jesus is God. While that is absolutely true. I, you didn't need those verses to know that. There's plenty of other verses that say that. But this is the initial, detailed revelation of what God planned to do through the Logos and those that would be a part of the Logos. Because the church was created in Him from before the foundation of the world. I don't have time to go back to that verse. you have to take my word for it until I can get to it later. So here we are. And I'm asking you to leave Isaiah 9 and 6 on the screen. Even if it tries to go off, put it back up. I want it stared at them. Understand who this was written to. This was written to the people of God who are children of Abraham. They believed in only one God. There was never a time that those people of God believed in anything more than that infinite God. They never divided Him up. They, they only believed in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One God. They knew there was a Messiah coming. That Messiah could just be a man that led them. God had used Messiahs or Saviors before then. I mean, you know, you see Moses led them out out of Egypt. Joshua led them into the Promised Land. Samuel led them. David led them. Gideon led them. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So from one standpoint... This Messiah, in some of their minds, could have easily just been a, a good man, sent to lead them. And remember the discussions he had with his disciples. They were a whole lot more concerned about when he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel than they were about him being God and what his purpose was. Because that was the part of the promise that they were focused on. The Messiah's going to come. And kick the Romans out and we're going to be a nation, a free nation again. Well, that's important. But the slight problem with that is, that is such a small part of the plan. So you've got to understand how shocking this verse had to be to people. When the prophet prophesied this. It's one thing to believe in the Messiah. It's another thing to believe that Messiah is going to be a child. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of that. And I'm going to share you, I'll say mine, simply because I don't want to be in a position of saying anybody doesn't agree with this is wrong. This is just mine. But I spent uh, seven years in the military. And the last five of those years, five, five and a half, my rank was worn on my shoulder. And immediately upon seeing me in uniform, you knew exactly what my rank was. And that wasn't new. Because for years, centuries, thousands of years, governments and armies had designations that were worn on the clothes to reveal the rank and status of the person you were looking at. And what this simply says is, he was a person of great rank, and that everyone who saw him would know his rank. But just in case you don't, He tells us this, and his name shall be called. These aren't his names. You're Mr. So-and-so, you're Mrs. So-and-so, you're Miss So-and-so. You may have some other title. That's not your name, that's what your name is called. Here are his titles. And I have believed for years, and most of the translations of this agree with this, it should be Wonderful Counselor, not Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor, you understand that there's no punctuation in the Hebrew and Greek. You do understand that, right? Punctuation is not divinely inspired. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, this is what really got to them and many people today. The mighty God. And the King James says it this way, the everlasting Father. But about half the translations I've checked into reads it this way, or close to half. The Father of eternity. This child, this son, This human. Okay, the wonderful counselor part, we can kind of get that. The mighty God part. Well, we've called a lot of things God. Prince of Peace. We understand kings and princes. But the Father of Eternity. Now. Some of you already doze. That's okay. Enjoy your nap, because you may get put sleep on this. When the I Am became Father by bringing Logos into existence, and while Logos is the expression of the infinite God to the finite, the plan for the beginning was for that Logos. To be manifested as a son on the earth through which the Father could make himself known to time and to man. That's why the big question is, who is the deity in the Son? There's absolutely no verse anywhere in the Bible that says the deity in the Son is God the Son. We know who the deity in the Son was. The Father. Jesus plainly said it, frequently said it, I am in my Father and my Father is in me. The man Christ Jesus said that. I'm in my Father, the Father's in me. So, the infinite God... Had to be able to have a means whereby he could relate to the finite. And I said to you last night, I'm going to say it to you again Eternity and everlasting or infinite are not synonymous. Your soul is eternal, but it had a beginning. It wasn't always in existence. Or otherwise, you'd be the infinite one. The angels are finite and eternal. They too had a beginning. So, eternity speaks of an unending situation. But everything that is eternal from the original languages had a beginning. So who is this child? (laughs) He is the father. Manifested. The father. The originator of. The creator. The beginner. Beginner of. Eternity. Because the moment he says father of eternity. He just acknowledged that eternity and infinite. The infinite are not synonymous. Because The infinite has no beginning. The everlasting, everlasting God has no beginning. But the eternal, my eternal soul, the eternal angels, everything else that's eternal, has no ending, but had a beginning. So the one manifested in and through this Logos made flesh, Son, is the infinite God who through the Logos became the father, the originator of, the beginner of eternity. Now I don't know who you're talking to when you say Jesus. A lot of people kind of have a mental image of a man when they're talking to it, say Jesus. I use the name Jesus interchangeable with the one who had that name first. So if I'm saying Jesus, I can say Father. I'm talking to the same one. Because the only way that son could be named Jesus is if it was his father's name. He said... The man, Christ Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. So this revelation, which is two parts, verse 6 and 7. The first part, verse 6, is the declaration that this is the Logos made known to man visibly... And is the agency whereby the infinite God relates to time and finite. And because that's who He is, everything in verse 7 is going to happen. (laughs) So let's see what's going to happen in verse 7. Verse 7 happens to be... I love all the Bible. But there are some verses that just kind of ring my bell and just keep on ringing it. Ding, 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 ding. There's just some verses that's just never far from me. And while I love verse 6, verse 6 leads me to verse 7, which governs my life. This is my expectation. The average Christian has only one concern. They don't want to go to hell. Okay, okay. You don't want to go to hell. I agree with that. I don't want to be lost either. But what do you want to be? Okay, we know you don't want to be lost, but what do you want to be? You don't want to go to hell for eternity. What do you want to do for eternity? And I've said this before, some of you heard it, but I'm going to say it again. If the characterization of sitting on a cloud with a white robe and these weird wings and this halo connected by a wire to the back of my head and a harp is what I'm going to be in eternity. That sounds a whole lot more like hell to me than it does heaven. Because I'm not going through all of this to inherit a cloud and a harp. So what is the plan Or do you care? I care. Verse seven is the revelation of the plan for eternity. And the government and, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be. And notice that what it does not say. It does not say, and of his government and peace there shall be no end. That's static. He didn't say that. He said, and of the increase. Of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Not only is his government and peace going to continue forever, but it's going to continually increase forever. How do I get qualified for that? How do I become a part of that? I want to be a part of that. Anybody want to be a part of that? What's the qualifications? He, the promise is the qualification. In order to participate in the increase of his government and peace having no end, I've got to be under his government and have his peace. Let me say that on this side of the pulpit and see if it makes a difference. Okay, let's try it on this side. If I'm going to participate in his government peace increasing without end, I've got to be under his government and have his peace. When is that going to happen? Then? Eh, wrong answer. It's going to happen now, or it's not going to happen for you. Well, this is called a war. It sure is, and I'm warring with you, aren't I? Not really. Some of you are warring with sleep. That's okay. You can watch this later. Unless you're trying to dodge what I'm saying. talked a little bit about it earlier this morning. Being under his government is being freed from iniquity because you have given up control. And he is governing your life and you are not. You're not making your decisions. You don't make your own plans. Everything you do and not do is submitted to him without getting too deep into this and getting too off track. The Lord doesn't guide us in everything in life by, by a word. So, is it Colossians 3.15? Can you put that up there for me for a minute? I'm coming back to this, so don't lose it. Don't let anybody take that out of the Bible while we're not at, looking. <laughs> let, allow, choose. The peace of God. Let the peace of God rule. Be the umpire. The decision maker. That's what the Greek word is. In your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body and be you thankful. What are you called to in the body? You're called to a place in God. Where the peace of God is your decision maker. Now here's the problem. Your peace can't make your decisions if you don't have any. And you don't have any peace until you've given up control to the Father and entered into His peace. And I will tell you, even though it took a long time, He didn't give up on me. And I'm thankful for that. He wasn't easy on me. And he didn't give up on me. But living a lifestyle of peace. Is absolutely the most wonderful thing. You can even possibly comprehend. Because when you live a lifestyle of peace. You are never under any. Pressure. Oh, come on, brother, you have pressure. No, I don't. Why? Because pressure comes from care. And if I obey the Word of God and cast all my care upon Him and let Him do the caring for me, I don't have anything left to cause pressure. There is a difference between fatalism and faith. I'm not preaching fatalism. Well, there's some power that's in control. And if, that, if, if the fate's decided, it's going to happen. No. No. I'm not surrendered to fatalism. I've got faith in my Father who loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And I can trust Him. So when I get peace, you say, I get peace? Yeah. I think it's, uh, I can't guess. I think it's, my mind is blank right now. First or second Peter says, uh, let's try first Peter 2.11. Nope. 3.11. First Peter 3.11 let him eschew evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it you don't get peace by accident you only get peace by a conscious choice and a committed constant effort because the that seems redundant. Seek and ensue, the Greek word, there's uh, usually would be translated in other translations, pursue. These are not synonyms. The seek word in the Greek speaks of the degree of the determination in your insides that you have come up with to decide how far you will go to have peace. It's the decision. The pursue is the actual actions that you are doing and how far you're going to have peace. So, if I'm going to be a part of His government and peace, increasing without end, I have got to be under His government and living a lifestyle of his peace Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 please I know you can quote this but here we go anyway King James be careful for nothing but in everything uh, the, I love the King James but you understand that it is not Peter's favorite version of the Bible it's only 500 years old 502 years old actually this year It's not divinely inspired as a translation. The Bible is only divinely inspired in its original languages. So I'm not messing with the Bible by telling you what the inspired version says. Because the inspired version is the original languages. And the inspired version says don't be anxious over anything. Worry is the product of workers of iniquity trying to control things the way they want them to go. I see some of you woke up. Worry is what happens... To a worker of iniquity. Who is trying to control things. And fear. Is what happens to those. That don't have enough love and trust in the father. To give up control to him. And worry and fear go together. And they're. China, Siamese twins, and they torment you. And, of course, we know that that's not a part of Christianity. Right? I mean, there's no believer in this world that has to have something to help them go to sleep. Because we know the Bible says God gives his beloved sleep. So we know that believers don't have to have anything to help them go to sleep. Except, of course, those believers that are workers of iniquity because they're in control of their own life and they're worried and full of fear. But those believers. You're, you're being unkind here, brother, right? I'm not being, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I told a couple of people that were taking sleep aids. What are you doing? Well, I can't sleep. Did it ever cross your mind God's trying to get you to pray? Did it ever cross your mind? He wants you to watch, which means be sleepless. It means to stay awake. Oh, I know how we watch these days. We watch by watching. And we apostolics, we don't have to have that other thing. We have our iPads and our laptops. And we watch. And we pray that God's not looking at what we watch. So we watch and pray. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What if there was some child of God on the other side of the world in a different time zone? Maybe exactly 12 hours different from you. So it's 2 o'clock in the morning for you and you can't sleep. And this is frustrating to you because you got important stuff to do when you get up in the morning. But the God that's everywhere at the same time, He's over there. He's got one of His children. It's in a serious jam. And he wants somebody to pray for them. And he woke you up. And you're inconvenienced. Now, if I have repented of my iniquity and I've given up control to the Father, And he wakes me up, rather than resenting him, waking me up. Then I'll respond like the child Samuel was taught to respond. What is it, Lord? Speak and your servant hears. It's kind of rough for after lunch, isn't it? You know what you don't understand? This is the edited version. And that is not an exaggeration. This is the toned down, gentle as I can make it version. I I said to a couple of people at lunch, I can't get the words out of my head. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I live in iniquity. I don't suffer for it. It was all put on him. Because rather than punish me for my iniquity, he had to put it on the Logos made flesh so that if I would ever choose to repent, he would have the means whereby to forgive me. So my iniquities just keep kept heaping it on him and heaping it on him so that God could make sure he was able to forgive me. So we apostolics are cutting back on the number of services we have because people just won't come. So let's accommodate iniquity. Let's accommodate iniquity because rather than being frustrated because people won't show up, let's just cut back on services. And if you've done that, I don't know it, but Jesus does. And maybe your motive is pure. Maybe it is. That's between you and God. But there's an, but excuses that are given to me when, I, when things like that have come up with guys. Well, you know, people just don't come. And, or we got people that drive from a long way off. Oh, so let's cut back on services for those that live nearby. Well, how about take one service to them wherever they are and then have everybody come together for one service rather than going I mean, there is a verse let's see let's see what that verse is give some like forsake not the it's hard to remember you know forsake not the assembling of yourselves together how does that go as the manner of some is and so much the more as you see the day approach let's see now, I, I realize, it. again, I just got this little pea brain and I, I don't, I don't know how to figure that they, all, all I, but to me, it just seems like that saying that as we get closer to the day, we ought to be getting together more, not less. But oh yes, that's right. The spirit of our age is the spirit of iniquity. And so therefore, we're accommodating the spirit of iniquity. I know, I know, I know. Boy, it's hard to get up for a church service, isn't it, brother? When the crowd's small. Well, you know, this example we have. Sarcasm alert. Okay. Just get ready. Here it comes. Sarcasm. This example we have of ministry, we know how frustrated he got when the crowd got smaller because the smaller the crowd got, the deeper the stuff was he talked about. So he must have been frustrated with that small crowd. End of sarcasm alert. No, he wasn't. No. He knew there were things he could talk, say to the smaller crowd, he couldn't say to the bigger crowd. In fact, he's the one that didn't set stuff to call the crowd so he would have a smaller group to say the deeper stuff to. But we're all about the crowd. And it's not worth our time if all the crowd's not going to be there. So let's just cancel the service so it doesn't interfere with the football games. Because obviously that's what the crowd's doing. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Was that mean? Was, I'm trying to be strong but not mean. Was that, was that mean? I don't, I don't want to be mean. Okay. That's my prayer regularly, Lord. I, I'm willing to say whatever you give me as strong as it you won't say it. Just don't let me add mean to it. Jesus' name. And of the increase of his government peace, there shall be no end. Upon the... My verse is gone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of the... God, do something to keep you awake. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And how is he going to do this? Upon the throne of David. Upon the throne of David. And upon his kingdom. To order it... Get this now. To order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now... We've been deep, we're getting deeper. Ready? I'm serious. We've been deep, we're getting deeper. God did not reveal His plan. Now that's in these notes here. I just want you to know what I'm about to say is in these notes. You know the ones he's had not let me teach from today? Okay. God hid His mystery, His plan... From the angels, the Bible says specifically, he hid his plan and purpose, his mystery, a secret, within himself, and didn't reveal it to anybody till his church was in existence. That's what Paul said. Why? First Peter 1 says, not only did the Old Testament prophets prophesy about about stuff they didn't understand, but the angels desired to look into it. Because they didn't know what was being prophesied about either. God had hidden it from the angels of heaven. Why? Because if he hadn't hidden it to the angels, Lucifer would have never become Satan. God didn't make Lucifer make his choices. But he didn't tell the plan. And so Lucifer made choices because he was ignorant of the plan. And so what, so because that's the case and it was by, by Lucifer's own free will, God can be just and loving and cast Lucifer and every other angel that followed him into the lake of fire, the, 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 the bottomless pit, outer darkness forever and not be at fault. Why? Because he's collecting so much evidence that will be displayed, revealed at the judgment that all of creation and every angel saved and lost will have to acknowledge his justice in his judgment. He is a just God. Anybody ever wonder what the deal with Job was all about? What is the deal? The Bible says, God just got through saying, Job was upright and perfect in all of his ways. I'm going to tell you what, the Lord's never said that to me, about me. That he was perfect and upright in all of his ways. And guess what that got him? The adversary, the accuser of the brethren, who no longer uh, has the privilege of being called Lucifer, shows up in the throne room. What's he doing? Oh, you know, just the usual, going to and fro. The implied was, I'm to stir up as much trouble as I can. Well, have you considered my servant Job? Who brought Job up? God, oh, somebody needs to be listening. Job said, no, I haven't considered him. You've got a hedge around him, not a thing I can do. Really? Why is that a problem? Well, because, I'm paraphrasing now, if you let me, I'll prove to you that Job is no different than me. He'll trade the things of God for God. He doesn't serve you for nothing. Let me take away what he's got and he'll curse you. He's not serving you for you. He's serving you for what you give him. If you let me take what you've given him, He'll turn his back on you. The Lord said, okay. Okay, you just can't do anything to him. We know the story. In one day's time, he lost everything. And the last news we got was all, I I can't even imagine this. From a human perspective, I can't imagine this. All seven of your sons and your three daughters, all dead in the same tragic accident in a moment's time. After you've heard all this other news that all of your wealth is gone. And he fell down. And. What? Worshipped. And he said naked I came in. And a naked I'm going out. Well get this. I don't know how long it's been. Job's still in that condition. Here comes the adversary to the throne room again. How's it going? Not too good. Oh, really? What's the problem? Well, you didn't let me do enough. Man will do anything for his skin. Really? Okay. Go ahead. Do anything you want. Just don't take his life. So we know that his body was filled with boils. And his wife turned on him. And his friends came and stared at him for seven days and never said a word. And his wife, and the greatest test God ever gives me is to tell me to do something and then not not let my wife feel it. And she's very submitted in the way she does it. She kind of gives me that look, going, "Really? Really?" <laughs> I started paying to boost posts and to get it, get the word out to as many as possible. I knew what was going to happen. Credit card bill came in. That's all she said. Do you, do, you, do you know how much the credit card bill was for Facebook last month? Yeah, I got a pretty good idea. Well, I just want to see if you knew. That's it. I don't want her to see this month's bill. Except the Lord has supplied some of that. Thank God. so many times my wife I've said this before and this is honestly the truth before God my wife is the most spiritual Christian character person I have ever met in my life the only person no offense to all you good friends of mine the only person I've ever met that even comes close to her is my good friend Bill Sisko they reflect the character of Christ more than anybody else I've ever met and again that that's not a reflection on any of my friends and my brothers that are sitting here because I'm in your boat. It is hard to live with her every day. It's not what she does. She's one of the most submitted women to a husband you've ever met in your life. She loves God. She prays. She's spiritual. She's caring. She may, I feel like an ogre around her. She's always thinking of people and what she can do for them. And, and my mind goes, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I didn't. It never crossed my mind. It, just, it doesn't. And people come up, oh, thanks for the card. Sure, no problem. I just didn't know we sent a card. Oh, I got that card exactly at the right time. Wonderful. Praise God. I don't have a clue what it said. I didn't even know it was sent. And she's always kind enough to sign my name to it with hers. So there's this lady I'm living with. My, my. And then God speaks to me. And I'm going, oh, you're not going to do this again, are you? Oh, yeah. And I tell her what it is he's told me. And I get that look that says, Are you sure? You sure about that? So I'm not putting Job's wife down when she said what she said. She might have been as faithful to God as Job was. But God allowed Satan... If he can tell Peter one minute, (laughs) I give you the keys to the kingdom. And just a few verses later in the same chapter, he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. You know, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjana, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And ten verses later or so, he says, You don't understand the things of me of God. Get behind me, devil. (laughs) You go. wait a minute. Which is it? Is he blessed to God or the devil? Both, even the best people, can do stuff that comes into their head not knowing where it came from. So she says to him, why don't you just give up your integrity, which is the opposite of iniquity. And just curse God and die. And he says, you speak like one of those women who deny there's a God. That's what a foolish person is. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. So you speak like a person that denies the existence of God. Shall we receive evil at the hands of God, uh, at the good at the hands of God? And shall we not receive evil? What was all of that about? Evidence. Job didn't do anything wrong. But God trusted Job enough that Job's life produced evidence. So that God could be just when he put the morning star Lucifer into outer darkness forever. See, he'd had some pretty good experience before that, though. He got the woman to trade the things of God for God. He got Cain to trade the things of God for God. He got Noah's two of Noah's three sons to trade the things of God for God. He didn't think it'd be any problem with Job. I'm not sure of the timing. <laughs> Abraham chose, the. Uh, excuse me, Adam chose the things of God over God. He chose the wife God gave him over the God it gave her. So all of these people from the beginning of time kept they they made they did well for a while but they kept failing, failing, failing. Finally here comes Abraham. God says, uh, I'm going to give you a son. It makes him wait 25 years. And then at some point, and the age varies tremendously in my studies, all the way from probably 10 or 12 up to early 20s, and some I've read even say that Isaac was somewhere around 30. But let's go to Genesis 22, please, verse 1. Oh, Lord. And it came to pass after these things, that God did tempt Abraham. That didn't mean he tempted him to sin. God tested Abraham. God let the Satan test Job. But God, not tempted to sin, God tested Job's priorities, Abraham's priorities. God did tempt Abraham or test Abraham, and said unto Abraham, uh, Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am, I, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and af- and offer him there a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. You might find this curious, but this is the first mention of the word love in the Bible. Look it up on your concordance. First mention of the word love in the Bible. And it wasn't, I I don't know if Adam and Eve loved each other. I don't know if any other husband and wife all these years, but the the Bible doesn't mention it. I didn't say love didn't pre-exist this moment. This is the first time the Bible mentions it. And it's in regards to God saying to Abraham, take this boy that I've given you by prophecy and you believe for and I want and you the one you love and I give him to me. Don't just give him to me. Kill him and burn his body. I promise you Abraham didn't go share that with Sarah. She probably got the same story those servants of Abraham got. You stay here. I and the lad are going yonder to... Would you be surprised to know that that's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible? So in the same setting, in the same situation, the word love and the word worship are used in the Bible... Over the same instance. Because you see, true worship is when you give up control of everything. And the Father is seeking for true worshipers. But I won't. Doesn't hurt you to want as long as you've surrendered to God. Even the Logos made flesh prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless. Forget what I just said. Whatever your will is, that's what I want. You want now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us? This is the revelation of how to have it. And you hear me when I tell you, you look me in the eye. There's no sarcasm or no joking here. There is going to be a group cut out of the body. I don't mean separated from it in the sense of no longer a part of the body. But there's going to be a part of the body that is going to rise up and give themselves to the Lord to this extent and he is going to use them in ways that is beyond imagination. And I'm not just talking about preachers. Beyond. I've said this. You'll just have to do with it whatever you think. You can call it the biggest ego you've ever seen. That's your problem between you and God. Because I only have to please him. I don't have to please anybody else. And I only have to answer to him over this. No, nobody else. But I said this last night. I think I did. But I'm saying it again today. I have always believed in what was beyond, beyond what I could ask or think. I've ne- There's never been a point in time I doubted. There was, I believed in the existence of what was beyond. I believed in the capability of God doing what's beyond. But you hear me right now today. You hear me. Whatever's happened over these last few months, all I can the only way I know to say it is, I'm connected to it. I'm connected to it. I've used this example to two different situations. People that are talking about this. What it's been like in my life is it's like standing on that sidewalk out there or standing in that driveway and looking at this building and going, I know there's got to be a good size auditorium in there. But I hadn't seen it. But I can see the type of the building and I can guess there's probably a pretty good size auditorium in there. So I believe there probably was a good, pretty good size auditorium. I use this figuratively. But I hadn't entered it. I hadn't been a part of it. But these last three months, I've walked up the stairs. Lights were off. Emergency lights only. I walked up the stairs and walked in that back door. And all of a sudden, I could feel how big it was. I can't explain that in my natural mind. But I can feel how big it is. And over these last two months especially, it's like I would stood there while he took a spotlight. And he would shine it on this part of the room. And I could see that part clearly. But he's done that in the past with stuff. But I never saw it beyond just what he was showing me there. But now, each one of these pieces, I see that with that light shining on it. But I'm aware that it's a part of this room. I'm aware of that. I feel that. It's there. And then, there no, doesn't seem to be a pattern to it. It's his pattern. I don't, know, I can't expli- explain it. But I, just, I, I don't move. I stand there and all of a sudden light shines on this and then he'll shine a light on back there and then something and it, and it just moves around and, and he leaves that light on there until, until an impartation of it takes place and that revelation comes to my spirit. I don't understand it. I just know that I received that. And then he moved on to the parts of it. I love you. I really do. I'm glad you're here. But I'm going to confess my selfishness. The Lord has let me know that at some point while I'm ministering this week, he's turning the lights on in the room for me. It have anything to do with me? I'm not have anything to do with my credibility or worthiness. I'm just telling you what's going on. So that's all I can do is report it. But I believe it. Why? Ephesians three one. I'm going to read real quick. I'm covering parts of what's in the notes, various ways, just like he does me in, did me in his room. I wanted to do it systematically, verse by verse, just show it all to you. It's just, just wonderful stuff because, again, there's a selfish motive there. Is I knew as I was teaching that, oh, he was just going to really help put the pieces together. And maybe he's still going to let me do that because I want – I'm trying to – there we go now, see. You could even have iniquity when you're seeking the things of God because I'm kind of trying to force the light switch on before the time for this cause and I'll explain what that is maybe later if the Lord allows for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner the what? hello the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles prisoner now I got a question do prisoners get to do what they want to do when they want to do it, how they want to do it do prisoners get to eat what they want to eat and go where they want to go? No. He didn't tell you and I to be a prisoner. He just said, "Follow me," as I follow Christ. So, kind of a roundabout way to do that, right? If I, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, given me to you, or toward you, given me for you, toward you, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery. Parentheses, as I wrote afore in a few words, and you'll find those few words, if we ever get to it, in the first half of Ephesians 1. Whereby, when you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Next verse. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Which prophets? Oh, we know that the apostolic movement is a non-profit organization. Because we only recognize pastors, evangelists, and teachers. We don't believe in those apostles and prophets. We are a non-profit organization. Maybe that's why we're lacking in revelation. Oh, praise God. (laughs) Oh, somebody on there is really anxious. Oh no, no, there it is. No, no, go back. Go back. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. It's not Old Testament prophets here. The Old Testament prophets in 1 Peter 1 desired, didn't even understand what they were talking about. Which in other ages were not made known unto the sons of men it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Next verse. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ, in the Logos made flesh, by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Next verse. And to make known, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid. Stay here now. Don't go to the next one. Hath been hid in God who created all things by the Logos made flesh. Now. You ever wonder what it was that made the early church like they were because let's face facts. But the only resemblance between us and them is Acts 2.38 and one God. They had all things common. I don't mean they lived in a communal lifestyle. That meant they didn't see this is mine, that's yours, uh, that's your church, sink or swim, I hope you do well. This is mine over here. I'm going to take care of mine and make this work. I mean, they obviously didn't believe in the other boat doctrine. Where Jesus gave Peter a net full of fish and they called for another boat because they knew that load would swamp their boat because their boat didn't have the capacity at that time to handle everything they had caught. So they called another boat over to take what they couldn't handle because the goal wasn't filling their boat. The goal was to, to save the catch. Ever wonder what it was that made them like they were? was the fellowship of the mystery. Don't forget the people preaching to them in the very beginning. Oh, man. I hope you're really good up there so you remember where we were so we can get back to it. Okay? 1 John 1, 1. Here's the kind of people that were preaching to them in the early church. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, the word, the logos of life. Next verse. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship of the mystery. And truly, our fellowship was with the Father, is with the infinite God and the Logos that applies to the finite. Same God, just He's infinite. And He, being God, has found a way to make Himself known to the finite. But the point I'm trying to get here is, I read this. The Lord didn't show me this as far as speaking this to me. I read this. That the book of Mark was primarily a, a gospel uh, which supposedly Mark was a disciple of Peter like Luke was of Paul. And like Luke wrote down... Uh, the Gospel of Luke, and he wasn't there, and the Book of Acts, and he was there for a lot of that. Uh, like he wrote that stuff down. Mark wrote down what Peter gave him, is what many scholars say. I can't say, thus saith the Lord, on that, but that's what they say. So, Matthew is written to the Jews from the perspective of Jesus's. Legal lineage, because he was legally the son of Joseph, because Joseph married Mary after she was pregnant, but before Jesus was born, and that made Jesus the legal son of Joseph. And the, 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 the royal lineage that gave him the right to inherit the throne of David was through Joseph. But his bloodline was through Mary, through the lineage from David's son Nathan, because one of David's heirs messed up bad, and God said, you're not going to have anybody sit on your throne for any any longer. But God had promised David that he was going to have a son sit on his throne forever. So God, in his infinite wisdom, figured out how to do that he had mary conceived by the holy ghost so that child was the son of god and mary was of the lineage of nathan that didn't have the curse on it that the other lineage of david did and but but he was she married joseph before jesus was born which legally made him the 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 son of joseph who had the right to the loyal, royal lineage through joseph And then, of course, Luke is really a, an account of all of that that is primarily focused for the benefit of the Gentiles. But John's gospel is different than those three. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Because what John did in his gospel is summarized in these three verses. He revealed the deity of the Logos. And he was constantly, oh my, he was constantly demonstrating the relationship between the infinite God, the Father, and the Logos, the expression of the infinite God to the finite, manifested in the flesh. So we could understand this relationship within God. Especially considering the only way we can communicate to the eternal God is through Jesus. But do you understand what it was that made the early church the early church? Here it is. Listen. Uh, let me, oh, I'm going to read it again. It's too good. Verse 1, please. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard from the beginning of the gospel or from the beginning of the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. That which was from the beginning, we have heard. And we have seen, we heard him speak. We heard the Logos speak in a human voice. We have seen the Logos manifest in flesh with our own eyes. We have looked upon the Logos manifest in flesh. Our hands have handled the Logos manifest in flesh. Oh, by the way, who is it? The Logos of life. Next verse. For the life was manifested and we have seen it bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship based on what? Fellowship based on the revelation of the mystery And truly, our fellowship is with the infinite God and His expression to the finite, His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the basis of the fellowship. Now, whatever that verse was in Ephesians 3 that we stopped at, I'm counting on you to take me back to that. Because I forgot it. Is it verse 9? Hope when the anointing anoints the old brain in there. Praise God. To make all men see. This was Paul's calling. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The fellowship of the mystery. And again, don't forget something here. The word mystery does not mean incomprehensible, it means a secret that has been hidden and is now revealed. It was taken from the Greek secret societies. And when you joined a Greek secret society, they had this, uh, this knowledge that was, they were only privy to, in, in other words, what they were about and who, what their purpose was and all this. And all this stuff that defined who they were, what they were, what they were about was called Mysterion. And the Holy Ghost took that word out of that and applied it here in the same context. God has secrets. And the way He demonstrates who's a part of Him is He reveals the secrets to you. And then we fellowship one with another because the secrets were revealed to us. And this mystery being revealed, what God has started, and I am not foolish enough to think that God is speaking this only to me. I'm not going to hell. I'm not entertaining such thoughts. But as God reveals it, whatever way He chooses to express it through another human agency, you put all those pieces together and it's whatever. But what that is doing is it's going to bring us together into a fellowship. A bond of fellowship like none of us have ever experienced before where we will truly be a spiritual body and it won't be mine and yours because what you're doing is just as important to God and therefore to me as what I'm doing and what I'm doing is just as important to you and God as it is to me and we're in this together and we do whatever it is that's necessary to help each one of us do whatever God's calling us to do as a body And that bond isn't created just by baptism in Jesus' name and just by receiving the Holy Ghost. Because all that does is make you a birth son of God. How many of y'all got relatives you're not all that close to? Got the same family name. But you're not close to them. Just because you share the same name, the same bloodline, and same spirit doesn't make you practicing brothers, does it? So, this is a bond of fellowship beyond that. And it's going to be produced by the revelation of the mystery. For those who receive it. And I don't mean this instant. For those who receive it. Because you see. None of this is mine. And my prayer is. Whoever else God has given this to. And they're ministering it. Praise God. The more the merrier. That's the be- more the better. Okay. But just from this Part. The prayer is that you will take this spirit of revelation and you will go home and let the spirit of revelation give it to you for you where it's not something somebody else said. It's yours. And then you begin to share it with others. Not quoting somebody else but telling others what God is showing you. And then we begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. God's talking to you. Basically the same thing he's saying to me. Then that means he's joining us together here. We need to begin to be one together, really one, really one. This is part of it that I don't like. But I don't have a choice in it. In this context of the justice of God. Requiring and receiving evidence. Sufficient that when he passes judgment and sends angel and human. To horrible eternal punishment. That inside of God and outside of God no one and nothing. Nothing. Accuses him of being anything less than loving and just. Because in that atmosphere, as he pulls the curtain back on everything. We will all realize they had the ability to choose. And they chose. And they, and they alone, are accountable for their choices. Here's the thing that's so amazing to me. God created Lucifer and put him in a perfect environment. And he made his body of the substance of God himself, spirit. And in perpetual fellowship with God, with a nature that was divine in essence, In that environment. Iniquity was found in him. Why? Why was he given one chance and that was it? Why was there no second chance for Lucifer and all his angels? Because when God put them in such a perfect situation. And made their substance of divine nature. And essence. He gave Lucifer. And all the angels the ability to choose, but he did not give them the right to choose. So, therefore, one chance it's all over with, no redemption. He was finished. Do you know why he hates you so much? Because we were made lower than the angels. We not only weren't made out of spirit, we were made out of dirt. We were made out of dirt. We were also given the power to choose. But different than the adversary, we were given the obligation and responsibility to choose. He was put in a perfect place where all he had to do was not choose, just continue as he was. We were created of flesh. So to have God, Lucifer was created with God. He, his only choice was to get rid of God. You and I were created without God. We have to choose to have God if we want God. So therefore, Lucifer makes one choice. Even though he had the power to choose, he did not have the right to choose. And he is banned forever. And he and all of the angels that followed him are going to be cast into everlasting torment. For that one choice. But you and I... We stand in jeopardy of that place simply by not choosing. Because not choosing is a choice. I've had people say to me, you've heard it too, oh, I can't believe my sweet old grandmother's lost if she doesn't do X, Y, Z. You know, your problem is You didn't know your grandmother when she was 20. You didn't know your grandmother when she was 15. You didn't know your grandmother when she was 25. The problem your grandmother's got is everything she did back then that's uncovered by the blood is what's going to cause her to be lost. Not because she's some sweet old grandmother today. Because again, again, I know this. You you don't understand something. There's more good being done this last half hour, 45 minutes than it's been done all this, this meeting. You know why? You are so tired you can't fuss with me. I've been waiting on you to get here. We don't ever reach that place in church services. We come in strong. We leave strong. We can fuss with the preacher all we want because we're okay. We got, whoa. But here you are. You sat here last night and you sat here this morning and you're sitting here and you think your watch has stopped. And you're barely keeping your eyes open, some of you. That don't bother me. You know what that tells me? Yeah. You're finally there. As I look at some of your eyes and it's just glazed. And I'm going, praise God. I'm not talking to brains anymore. I'm talking to spirits. I'm talking to the spirit. I'm not talking to the brain anymore. Like I said last night, some some people say, my brain is full. Good good. Your spirit's not. Why do you think it is that we just spend our lives on this spiritual treadmill and the little clicker on the treadmill says how far we've gone, but it was one step on and one step off and we're in the same place we were before. We were keeping my Youngest grandchild the other day. He's a little boy, 18 months old. He pointed at a treadmill in the room. It's for decoration. (laughs) That says, good intention. (laughs) I got a good intention. (laughs) So he wanted, he got, he wanted to try that. So I got him up there. I didn't. Plug it on, turn it on. Plug it on, turn it on. But I got up there, and I started moving to make to make it move. That freaked him out. He jumped off that thing. I couldn't get him back on it. I couldn't blame him. I I don't want to get on it either, (laughs) especially when it's plugged in. (laughs) But that's the problem. We're living our lives on a spiritual treadmill. And the ticker says how far we've gone. But we get off right the same place we got on. The clicker says, we've gone a long way. Why, you might be in good shape and you got there fast. But when you turn it off and you get off, you step off the same place you stepped on it. And that describes our spirituality. Is there anything in you that's tired of that? Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But do you ever get tired of going to church? The same old, same old, same old, same old. old? But the only thing that I can handle the same old, same old with is food. I prefer gourmet food. I like my whoppers with cheese, everything but no onions. And because I'm health conscious, I take the mayonnaise off and put the mustard on because Weight Watcher says you lose eight points that way. So you, you're eating eight points less just by taking the mayonnaise off putting that mustard on. And that's gourmet food. It's a five course meal held in your hand. All five food groups are represented right there. And uh I don't do this but I could. And and I know some of you are gonna go, Ew, that's well, your problem, but Every, essentially every Sunday night after church, I have at least two banana sandwiches. I like them. No, no peanut butter. Peanut butter is too strong. takes away from the taste of the banana. It's mayonnaise, a little bit of sugar. And I, I could care less what you think about that. I like it. See? We don't have to eat the same food to fellowship the mystery. like candy I don't I don't eat a large quantity of food it's just what I eat and I'm a task oriented person so if I buy a bag of dove pieces it just bothers me when there's anything left in that bag (laughs) just and my wife buys those dove ice cream bars for that chocolate dove ice cream on the outside and the vanilla ice cream in the middle and three comes in a box. I don't care what the label says. That's a servant. <laughs> I can't help if the label maker's ignorant. You put three of those in a box. That's a servant. It's not three servants. That's a servant. So the point I'm trying to make you is in that area. It's about the only thing that I can do the same old, same old. Let me tell you something right now. My God is without beginning. He's without ending. He's at every place and every time at the same time. And we're going to do the same old thing every time we come to church. You know why? Because we ask Him to bless the parts we're doing. We don't ask Him what He wants to do. We don't ask him. We just make assumptions because we're under the pressure of the assumptions that the people are coming. Because they got stuff to do. And you better get your stuff done in the amount of time they're going to give you. Well, now this isn't toned down. You can be a prostitute if you want to. And I'm not selling my relationship out or my ministry out for people's money. And if they don't like how long I preach, there's other places that will preach 20 minutes to them. It's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. Because they're not going to listen to what I want to say anyway. And they're not going to do what I believe anyway. Is that harsh? I'm not a pastor, never been a pastor. I did the work of a pastor for 35 years. Let me tell you how somebody who's not a pastor feels about stuff. If you're going where I'm going, and anything I got, I won't give you. But if you're not going where I'm going, I'm only going to be courteous. And you will have a hard time Getting any of my time, because I'm going someplace. Church building's not my problem, it's his problem. Don't you love people? No. I tried that. doesn't work. I found that's, that, that's a violation of the scripture. Okay. You want to stay a little longer? Challenge, challenge. Okay. Let's see what the scripture says. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. When the scribes came, having heard them, reasoning together, perceiving that he answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, here, oh, is the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Next. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Three primary Greek words translated by the English word love. Eros, philio, agape. Eros is not found in the, in the Greek New Testament. It's only found in classical Greek. It is the primary Greek word used in classical Greek for love. Philio is found both in classical Greek and in the Greek New Testament. It is the height of uh, of emotional love. Agape is not found in classical Greek. It's only found in Greek New Testament. Because it's a word that describes what the Greeks couldn't understand. God is not eros. God is not Philio. God is Agape. And when the first commandment was written, it says, Thou shalt agape, the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second verse says, Thou shalt agape thy neighbor as thyself. And First John 4, 19 says, We receive agape. We love God. We agape God by receiving agape first from God. What I said already, God doesn't ask of me anything He doesn't first provide. To keep the first two commandments, I've got to love God and people and myself with agape. And that's not human, it's divine. And the only source of getting agape, of having agape to give to God and to others and to myself, is to receive agape as a gift from God. So I tried loving people with filio, but it doesn't work. see there? I'm not so horrible as you thought. Because I want to love people. But trying to love people with human emotion just about destroyed me and everybody around me. Because when you're trying to reach the lost through filio, it drives you, it drives others, and that Puts pressure on you and puts pressure on others. Because emotion will burn you out. But when the burden doesn't come from filio. When the burden comes from agape. It's God doing the work. God doing the lover, loving. There's no pressure. There's no weariness with that. There's no frustration in that. Because all you are is a conduit letting God do the Loving. Love this church. I not only would give my life for it, I have given my life for it. But not filio. Love my wife. Love my sons. My daughters. My grandchildren. Yeah. It's possible I would give my life to them through filia- filio. But greater agape hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know that I filio you. Second time, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I filio you. Third time, this is the Greek. Peter, do you really filio me? Uh, Lord, you know all things. See, that whole scenario didn't make any sense in the English. Peter, are you loving me with the love that I first gave you? Lord, you know I'm loving you with human emotion. We know Peter was emotional. He's all the time spouting off. Peter, do you really, do you love me? Do you agape me? Lord, you, you, you know I filio you. Do you really filio me? Or just when it's convenient. Just when there's a chance of it making you somebody special in everybody else's eyes. Because you see, Oh God. There is no way to have pure motive when you're loving through emotion. There's always something in it for you. Always. Galatians 5 and 6 says that agape, excuse me, that faith... Is activated or energized or caused to be operative by. Faith worketh by agape. So why is it that there's so much we're believing for that doesn't work? Because the power behind our faith is emotion, not agape. And so our church services have become celebrations a filio. And we're so emotion-based. But agape comes from the Spirit and is first spiritual before it's anything else. Let's pray a moment. I don't know if I'm done yet, but the Holy Ghost is trying to talk to you right now and I need to stop to give you and him an opportunity to have a personal conversation. You don't have to sit there. I don't know how long it's going to be, but if you need to stand up, sit down, get prostrate, prostrate, you're welcome to do that. Because you and I right now need to have a conversation with Jesus. Jesus. Brother Ryan, what does this have to do with cold war? Everything. Everything. Because true victory in spiritual warfare is first and foremost motive-based. Don't rejoice over the fact that devils are subject to, to you through his name. There's a greater purpose here. There's a greater call. There's a greater motive. There's a greater reason for being here. My, 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 my. Come on, go beyond your flesh and your fatigue and just spiritually, spiritually tap in just a little bit deeper right now. And feel the flow at that deeper level. Come on, feel the flow that's there at the deeper level. It's not on the surface level where your flesh is fatigued and your brain is tired. But it's there if you go a little deeper. Oh, is it ever more there if you go a little deeper? My, my 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 Come on. If you haven't learned how to do this yet, you need to. If you're praying in the spirit, don't stop that. but at the same time, you and Jesus have a conversation in your mind. Let your spirit pray what your spirit needs to pray but then in your mind you can talk to Jesus have mercy Jesus help us Jesus remember our frame we're made out of dirt remember our frame Lord remember our frame Lord we're just dirt have mercy on us Lord Take us beyond ourselves. Take us beyond our, our motives. Take us beyond our pride. Take us beyond our goals. Take us beyond our purposes. Take us beyond what what we desire. Take us beyond our our emotions. Take us into your spirit, Father. 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 Hallelujah. Please, 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 please. There's nothing been said in this meeting to beat you up. Come on, keep praying. There's nothing been said to beat you up. The Lord loves you enough to challenge you. The Lord loves us and us enough to challenge us. The Lord loves us so much. I don't know how true it is. It sounds true. The Lord loves us just like we are, but He loves us too much to leave us like we are. I don't, I don't know really how totally biblically accurate that is, but it sounds right. But I know this one thing. How would you feel about one of your sons or your daughters living so far beneath their capabilities? Would it bother you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say something to them? Wouldn't you try to get their attention? Wouldn't you try to, try to help them understand? Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Come on, realize, realize that what's available to you is so much more. Don't waste your life. Don't waste this opportunity. If, you're, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father love you and me? If your child was, was struggling along, going through the motions, spiritually and or naturally... Would you just sit back and not pray? Would you sit back and not say, God, whatever you gotta do, get their attention. Whatever you gotta do, Lord, get a hold of them. Oh God, don't let it, don't let it keep going like this. Stop it, Lord, change it, get their attention. Whatever it costs them, you'll give me the grace to go through it with them, but don't leave them like they are, God. If you've prayed that way, if you'd feel that way about your child, do you not believe that our Heavenly Father feels that way about His children? That He's not willing for you, His child, to live beneath your privileges without trying to get your attention? Come on, come on, come on. Press. Press past the flesh. You're not pressing God. It's not God you're pressing. You're pressing past your flesh. Some of you want to get up right now. You want to go have a meal. That little snack is gone. You're tired. You're ready to do something else. That's not you. That's not your spirit. That's not the spirit that caused you to come to this meeting. That's just flesh. You got flesh. I got flesh. Everybody's got flesh. Don't let flesh win. Press. Press past it. Press past it. Come on. Come on, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't let your flesh win. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But it's your choice. Don't let flesh win. Come on. Don't let flesh cheat you. Don't let don't let flesh cheat you. Don't let flesh cheat you. Don't let flesh cheat you. Come on. Come on, don't let flesh cheat you. Ikaha Ilubu Halalorobo kura tata tababa ha. Halalorobo kura tata tababa ha. tata tabaka ha. tata Hikala halalura tata tia Come on, receive it. Receive it. Your loving Heavenly Father is offering it. Receive it. Come on, receive it. Don't let flesh don't let self-will don't let it, the iniquity of wanting to be in control and run your own life and make your own decisions cheat you out of what God's got for you come on come on, come on. In the name of Jesus. My, makusiki batata my cousin, my cousin, my cousin, taha. In the name of Jesus. Ha in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Halorobo Korata Babaha My, 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 my. Ha, Alada Bahai. Halada Dabata Hai. Halada Dabata Hai. Halorobo Korata Tata Tata Bahai. Halada Data Babacoteti etatata Hai. hallelujah 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 Thank you Jesus 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 Ita kalaro to bukura ta 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 tiye ta loro bahai. Thank you, Father. 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 Anamatoho, Rattaleratatolo, Tobucura, Tatabahaya. Hallelujah, Jesus' name. Kalolo <sighs> Bucura, E color rota bo cora ta ta ti e la rata ta E color rota bo cora ta ta ti ta bah E ma rota bo la I'll allow the book to corrupt the talent that's behind me. Maybe it's a bat or Ooh, Jesus, I'll bind the devil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not hinder or stop this voice in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Italo Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus' name. Non, Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to do something, and here's the basis for it. Ephesians 1, 5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And then verse 12 says this, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the day, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Obviously, you picked up quickly the common phrase in those three verses that Paul used in just a matter of eight verses. The praise of his glory. We're going to close this session out By standing up and giving praise to His glory. I tell a little bit Let me help you just a minute and we'll try it again. When the word is used, glory is used in the context talking about men and whatever, its most fundamental literal meaning is included or intended, which means opinion and the application of that opinion called boasting. That's why no man should glory in his presence meaning no man should take or use the things of God to affect the opinions of other people about himself in boasting in whatever form that boasting takes. But when the word glory is used in reference to God, most commentators say it's really referring to the self-manifestation and the self-revelation of God. The glory of God is God manifesting Himself and revealing Himself. And that's what He's been doing here in the Spirit and through the Word. Can we now praise His glory? What He is revealing, praise Him and thank Him for what He is revealing to you about Himself. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah 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 In the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus Hallelujah. Praise God. Can I ask you to do yourself a favor? Be friendly on the way out. It is four minutes to three by my clock. I'll be picking up the microphone in four hours. We will be starting again back here at 7. Be friendly. You see somebody you don't know, shake their hand. You see somebody you do know, shake their hand. Don't stand and have some long conversation. Go get some rest. Go get some food. And not necessarily in that order, and come back. Okay? And you'll feel better and ready to go. Okay? God bless you.